Healing can happen when people share their stories. Welcome to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. Discover true stories from those who were called to sit in the witness chair. Experience their journey through their legal process and beyond. This podcast brings to light the trauma and stress caused by testifying under oath and offers resources by talking with witnesses, key litigators, and mental wellness professionals to assist with different approaches one can utilize to prepare to take the stand and how to heal after the encounter. And now, here's your host, Juliet Huck. Welcome to Trauma Trial and Transformation. Los Angeles, California. Today is part two of my discussion with the amazing and courageous Scarlett Lewis. Scarlett unfortunately lost her son Jesse in the Sandy Hook murders in 2012, but she continues to talk to me about keeping his memory alive through her Choose Love movement, which is now in schools in 50 states and 100 different countries. So please join me a part two of our conversation. Now, now, when you when you actually then decided that this was what you want to stand up for and what you want to do, and I knew at one point in time there was kind of like a, a weird. Well, first, let me back up. Did they? How were you prepped for witness prep? Were you prepped a lot to to testify against him? Did you? I know I accidentally kind of ran into him in the room. I mean, what was your preparation from your trial team? Yeah, there was very little prep. <laughs> just flew down That's my there. point yeah very little my prep point. uh I, I was scared I, and i and i'm not I, I was scared i was uh, wondering level four security while we were there and my son was there but i was also anxious and i'm right. not a normally anxious person and so i remember thinking wow this is this is anxiety you know this does not feel good i understand now how so many people are suffering with anxiety i was so anxious and i'm a public speaker so i don't I know. mind you know talking to people i like talking to people especially if it's about jesse and his message um, but the thing that I learned about the Alex Jones trial is, you know, and I always try to be true to Jesse's message of nurturing, healing, love, and practicing the formula that we teach in the program, which is courage plus gratitude plus forgiveness mm -hmm. plus compassion mm -hmm. and action. So uh, I, I, Alex Jones did not mean to be in the courtroom when I was. In fact, when I started my testimony, he wasn't. And I think that's what I thought. They thought yeah. I was done. And so they brought, and so Neil had gone, I had gone, and and oh. Alex came in because he thought that we were done. I wasn't done. I was taking a break. Um, oh. And so I got back on the stand. And the ironic thing is, you know, Jesse's dad is like, I want to face Alex Jones one day. And I want to, you know, I never said that. It wasn't my burning desire at all to face him. I would rather have not. I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you if you really wanted to. Was no. that set up? Was it on purpose? No, you're just like, oh. No. So, no. you know, I got back up and there he was. But the amazing thing that happened was that he was sitting right in front of me and I looked into his eyes and we stared into each other's eyes for what seemed like a long time. And I was able to see, I think, into his soul. And I just wow. saw a vacancy there. And I realized mm. all of a sudden why he was doing everything that he was doing. 
because he was trying to fill the void that that had to be filled with love that wasn't going to be filled with anything else. It's not filled. You can't fill yourself up with money or or women or lies or fame. You can't do it. We have this, this compartment that has to be filled with love. And you know what? I felt compassion for him. And mm. it was then that all of mm. my anxiety went away completely. And I was able to speak to him. I saw the spark of humanity in him. And I was able to speak to him, you know, like a human being. And I really wanted him to understand that there is a different way that you could choose love. And I was thrilled to be able to show this introductory video that I show when I speak. It has video of Jesse. And I wanted him to see the nurturing, healing, love message. I wanted him to see what we had done with mm -hmm. the the programming and how many people's lives we positively impacted. And I wanted him to understand. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if he was actually in a place where he could, but I know that he was introduced to it. And so I have hope that, you know, when he's healthy enough, he will be able to choose love. Wow. Well, that's just, I mean, I, oh, I just got to take a second on that one too, because that's just like, you know, I, I read through some the deposition or the testimony and stuff that, you know, because it's kind of my world. And, uh, you know, I love that you just look and say, I want you to hear this. Like, I, like there was, it almost sounded like there was no one else in the courtroom, but you and him. I and, didn't think um, there was. A com everyone and, and I was completely wondering. melted away and it was just he and I. And when I and started I, showing that video, he picked up his phone. And that's when yeah. I said, Alex, no, <laughs> I want you. Yeah. To, I want you to watch I want this. You to hear and this. so he put his phone down and he put a napkin over it and he watched. Yeah, that's that's uh, that courage. Oh man, I tell you, you got to bottle that. That's that's something else because that's uh, it's not an easy process. Number one, the you know the courtroom is not an easy process. It's not it wasn't. It shows a lot of yeah, and I that's my whole point of this podcast is helping people that have gone through trauma and they have to relive it in the courtroom. What are we doing to help witnesses? What are we doing to help prepare them? What are we doing to, you know, not just what I call hello, testify goodbye. It's like, it, it can't be like that because you have to relive these things. I'm watching the Murdoch trial and watching some of these people that are just family members and friends. And, you know, to go back to that is what are we doing to help them when they leave? And so I, I'm so encouraged by your progression to be able to stand up, but, but what, are, uh, and we're going to talk about the healing side of this here in a second, but, but I will, I will say at the same time, our attorneys treated us like family and they were so yeah. respectful and they really showed a lot of reverence for mm -hmm. Jesse and his message that was never mm -hmm. out of their mind. And nope. I wanted to keep that separate. And it, yep. it turned out that it actually became the theme of the trial, which is beautiful. And the attorneys at the yeah. end asking the jury to choose love, which they uh, yeah. did, was really, it was very meaningful. So you can see how much it was very deep on on their part. And right. um, it was it was nice. It's fantastic. Yeah. That's, a, you know, and, and I, like I said, I, 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 I'm, I have so many good clients I've worked with that, um, you know, it's part of the process. It's part of the system. That's why I'd like to, this, us to take a look a little bit of the system in witness prep because it's not they're bad attorneys and people. Because I have very, very good clients, super caring, loving, 
you know, humanizing people. Um, but I just get so worried because the process starts happening so quickly and you got to fly in, you got to do this. And it's like, what are we doing to follow up with these kids that, you know, witnessed George Floyd dying? What are we doing with following up with, you know, um, you know, someone like JT who has to watch his mother go through this. Like, you know, there's, there's, there's in the court system, it's, I'm just trying to open the conversation a lot more, but it sounded like he, like he shook his hand, his hand. Did he apologize to you? Or I can't remember. I thought I heard something about that, but did he apologize? Um, he, he did. Uh, and you know, I mean, you can say you're sorry, but then, you know, words have to be followed up by actions. And, um, but, you know, we did have a few human moments. He was coughing. He had a terrible cough. And so I I did too, ironically. And I had a big bag of cough drops next to me, plus a, a huge thing of water. So at one point I walked over with four cough drops and a water. And uh, mm. I think that amazed him because it was kind of- sure. He, he did I bet it moved, amazed everyone in the room, I would imagine. I just, I mean, that the kindness that's coming out of you, that's just like, wow. How, I mean, how often people see that? Well, I feel like that's how we need to treat one another. And if we did, mm-hmm. we would have a lot less of what we're seeing around us. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But I mean, so how, how did, how did you feel like, okay, so when you got off the stand, like just instantly got off the stand, were you relieved? Were you, um, what, what was your feeling? You know, it was a it was a very highly anxious time. You know, we were we were with security twenty four seven, not able to leave our hotel room, and really mm. sequestered. And uh, so, you know, it was an uncomfortable thing for me. I didn't want to have to do that. I would rather mm-hmm. have not done that. It was actually, you know, we were there for two weeks. This is two weeks. Mm. This was the only two weeks that I've taken off in 10 years in doing the Choose Love movement. And really, for me, that was a huge sacrifice. This was two weeks that I could be spreading Jesse's message. And I had to sit in a courtroom. And, Mm. you know, day one, I was sitting, I was having such a hard time just kind of accepting why I had to be there. Um, Mm -hmm. What? There's somebody that's telling lies about victims' parents of of what is still the worst mass murder in an elementary school in U.S. history. We have to be here because somebody's saying it didn't happen. It was like I, this was you know how your brain it's mm. it, my brain was just exploding. I I just couldn't um, I couldn't come to terms with it and one of the attorneys saw me, I think, really struggling. I actually thought I was going to pass out. I had panic attacks when Mm. I was younger. So I was like, I was thinking, is this going to happen? You know, in front of the world, I'm going to be passing out. And of course, that makes you more anxious. And he came over to me and he, he, uh, he put his knee next to mine to kind of, you know, steady me. And he said, I want you just to focus on one word. And he said, that one word is relief. This isn't, it isn't reliving. This is going to be relief from, you know, the way that you've been living and the anxiety that you've been having Mm. or stress, you know, fear for your safety. Like this is going to, this is going to help bring this to a close. So just think of that one word. And I kind of chuckled because I said, right, that's what we teach in the Choose Love movement. But I needed you to remind (laughs) me, thank you, because I was struggling. And so that's what I did. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Because that's, that is the hard part is, you know, I work with witness prep a lot of times and, 
you know, it's, it's, um, sometimes for me, it's just holding space. Like I do with this podcast it's, it's holding space, talking to the person, getting them through. That's why I would love to do. I'm, I'm working on some guided meditations of mm. somebody that you know, needs to go through visualizations, you know, just for somebody that it's just, you're just a fish out of water. Like it's just, it's so different. So I'm, um, I'm just so blown away that, you know, you had that courage also to, you know, on top of everything else, but it's, um, so let's talk about, you know, transformation. So this is tra obviously trauma trial and transformation. So, you know, you, um, another one of your moments, uh, or one of the moments I read that kind of stopped me in my tracks, you said, if someone would have told me two weeks earlier, I'd be standing beside my son's grave, listening to psychic soccer moms, passing along messages from Jesse from the afterlife, I would have laughed. But these women were speaking a language that you began to understand, language of spirit, energy, supernatural messages. Like, I, I know when I hit that awakening, I mean, what was that like for you? Like that you just, uh, talk to me about that. Well, I remember right after the tragedy wanting to be still because I understand that when you're still, you can hear God. Mm -hmm. And you hear God in the stillness. And so I wanted to be still to hear God, but also to be close to Jesse, because mm -hmm. I know that I, I, I believe that he is around me, just like your dad is around you mm -hmm. and you, you have proof in things that they mm -hmm. do and in signs. Many times. And I don't believe in coincidences, only God winks, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> Um, I, I started just being very open. There was so much love being poured out for us from all over the world and in different ways. And I just decided to open myself to that love and just mm. receive it for what it is from the places that it came. And so I was dropped off at the graveyard. It was snowy. And I was, and uh, it's not a grave. It's an old graveyard. I think it's like started, there's the graves from the 1600s. Oh, and wow. I passed by it every day. And I, of course, I never even thought about it until, you know, I had to pick out a, a grave site for my son. So mm. you can't access it in the winter. So I had to be dropped off at the roadside and I walked um, to mm. the back, which is where Jesse's grave is. And there are already two women back there. And we just, you know, they had brought flowers and little gifts for him, which people still do 10 years later, mm. which is beautiful to me. Mm, I appreciate yeah. that. And so we just started talking and, you know, they, they told me some things that I knew were true. And uh, I actually invited them back to have tea. <laughs> Why not? Mm. And, uh, you know, they, they, uh, you know, they were they were telling me some different ways that spirits communicate through electronics and things like that. And mm -hmm. it happened. It happened yeah. to me. So I just thought I'll say yes. I don't know the answers, but I do know that I have no fear because I had been through the worst that mm. a parent can be through. And I had no fear. I just didn't fear wow. anything at that point. Wow. And so it was incredible to be able to just be open to, to the gifts that were around mm -hmm. me. And that was one of them. Wow. That's just so, I mean, I, I, I have 
since my awakening back about 10 years ago, I've had so much communicating to me sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, I, I don't like that how they portray it in the movies. I don't like how Hollywood portrays it because it's not like that at all. It's, it's really, like you said, in the stillness and the awareness, what message is coming to me today from my great grandmother, from my grandfather who leaves dimes for me all over the place. Oh, I love that. Yeah. My, my father, you know, my mother, you know, he leaves dimes for my, her father and, I really have just really incredible stories um, of just signs and, and communication. Deers, that's my spirit animal. When that deer shows up, something's communicating. And, and so um, I wanted to ask you about the, the cover to your book, uh, Nurturing Healing Love. Can you tell me the moment that you kind of comprehended that that was a message from Jesse versus just you just passed it by? Like, when, when was that moment that you realized he, this was his message to me? Oh, well, it was right away. I mean, I it was the first time I had come home. And and I don't know if in the book it might have been ordered in a slightly different way. But mm. when I came home for the first time, I remember my mom lives across town and I did not want to ever come back to my house initially because I was a single mom, my two boys, mm. like walking, my biggest fear, I said I had no fear, but I didn't want to walk into my my hallway, yeah. my mudroom and see Jesse's boots or yeah. have his toothbrush mm. be by the sink. I thought about all these things. Yep. He had undressed in front of the heater. It's an old house, it's really cold. And he'd thrown his PJs on the ground. Like I mm -hmm. didn't want to see all this stuff, but, I wanted to be the one to dress him in his casket. You know, mm. when you're, when you're um, mm -hmm. not together, you know, it becomes like who, who, who gets mm -hmm. those duties. And I was just, that was something that was really important to me. So I had to go home and get his clothes out of his dresser. So I had a whole gaggle of friends and family and we walk in and I just really made, I put my blinders on and I was going to walk straight through to his, uh, his dresser, you know, I passed the Christmas tree with the presents under it. Cause remember it was mm. two weeks before Christmas That's right. and, uh, went to the dresser, mm. picked out really warm clothes. Hey, it was cold. I picked out a sweatshirt and a, his favorite sweater, flannel lined jeans, his boots, really warm socks, and then walked back out and I walked by that message on that day and ugh, I almost dropped everything because I, I said, oh my God, that, you know, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Nurturing, like, healing, where, love. <laughs> where was the message? It was in the kitchen or was it, was it on the chalkboard or was it? I had spray painted the side of my oven with the spray paint chalkboard stuff and oh. so as I moved out of the living room into my kitchen, it was right there on this chalkboard. Oh. And right, you could tell that he had stood and written it. It was six-year-old height. And mm -hmm. it just stopped me in my tracks. It stopped mm. me in my tracks. That was the solution. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I knew that if wow. Adam Lanza had been able to give and receive love, if he had loved himself, people that love themselves, they don't want to hurt other people. They don't want to hurt themselves. Right. And, right. Uh, and, and that was, that was a spiritual awareness that he had that mm. wasn't going to be around for very much longer. He wanted to leave a message of comfort for his family and friends. And, you know, it was maybe later on that I put two and two together that when Jesse was born, I held mm. him and I said a prayer. And I said this prayer 
every night that I remembered, you know, dear Jesus, thank you for this gift. And I know that you can take him from me at any time, Mm. but please don't. Mm. And I said that when I prayed with Jesse, I didn't say it when I prayed with JT. And I never stopped to think, well, why am I saying it with Jesse and not JT? Why Mm. would you ever say that? That's a curious thing to say with a new Mm -hmm. baby. What are you thinking? I never thought about it. Right. But looking back now, I I realize it was a spiritual awareness in me. You know, that Mm. that getting rid of the TV and being present and spending time with the boys. I mean, that's all I ever wanted to do. And it's all I did. I was with them all the time. And, Mm. you know, I'm thankful for that. Thankful Mm -hmm. for that spiritual awareness that Mm. I needed to do that. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's just so... I mean, and again, it's that awareness. It's that that awake, waking being that who's talking to us when, where um, it's in front of us. I mean, that's what I think. Sometimes people there, you know, others on the other side of the air sitting there saying, ah, "It's right there. Don't you see it? Don't right. you see it? It's like right you're there in front of you." And, and you're, you're missing probably laughing, you're sitting right here, <laughs> and you're laughing. They're laughing at us, like you know, hey, it's. I just gave you like five signs. I, I'll, I'll tell you just a really quick story. So I, I moved a dining room table from my grandparents' house. It hasn't moved out of this literally out of this room for ninety three years, and uh, brought it. Had it shipped out to Los Angeles, but my fa- my grandfather, as soon as I moved it, boom, there was a dime like right on his right on the floor. And I was like, okay, oh, wow. wow. He's really, you know, happy that I'm taking it. Well, it gets better. So then I was like, I went up to his, his this house still uh, exists. And um, when I was a little kid, my, it's my mom's house uh, where she grew up. And uh, I go up to his office and there's a dime on his chair. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, okay, well, you're really following me through the house today. And I said to him, I said, okay, so I don't know if I can go back for a while. I really want to get home and help mom, but you know, just give me a kind of a sign. It's okay that, you know, I can't, I'm just, I'm trying to do everything I can to get back and, you know, to help. And so I went out to the, to the, to the, uh, the beautiful estate, went out to the side yard. And once, you know, I ran into a snake and I, I am the most terrified of snakes, even though I grew up on a farm, but I was like, okay, if there was a one symbol that it was like, did I not tell you enough that I'm here? Did I not tell you enough that everything's okay? That it's okay not to come back? I'm going to put something in front of you for you never to come back again. So, yeah, it was really, it was really amazing. But, um, so, you know, you also looked at uh, one, another thing that really amazes me about you is your compassion and empathy. Um, you know, you said at one point in time that you found that the truth was you really didn't, you weren't really angry towards the shooter, but you really had compassion that something must have happened to him. And I know for myself, I'm, that's the first thing, like what, like yeah. politicians, like what was their childhood like? Or, you know, what, what right. happened to them? I mean, do you still carry that? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, in the beginning, I was saying that there were 28 victims. You know, everybody knows mm-hmm. the number 26 from Sandy Hook, but I was saying 28 because I was including Adam and his mom. You know, it, you know, I, I stepped back and I watched the reactions and everybody was blaming Adam and his mom. And of course, yes, Adam was the perpetrator. He did something horrific. His mom gave him access to the guns because... That's how she connected with him. He was on the spectrum and she Mm -hmm. made a mistake. And by the way, she paid for it with four shots to the face that morning before he Mm -hmm. left for the school. You know what I mean? But I thought, you know, it's too easy 
to blame Adam Lanza and his mother and lay all the blame on them. Because if it was really all their fault, it would never have happened before and it would never mm-hmm. happen again. But wait a minute, right. it happened over 350 times since Sandy Hook Elementary School. So is that Adam Lanza's Ugh. fault? It's like, we continue to blame these kids. And of course, Adam wasn't a kid, he was 21. Of course, our our brains don't fully form our prefrontal cortexes where logic and reasoning reside until we're 25. But we continue right. to blame even kids that are school shooters but then, you know, recently in the news, we had that six-year-old in Newport News, Virginia, mm. that brought his gun to school in his backpack and shot his teacher during an altercation. Mm. It's like, oh, are we going to blame that six-year-old? Are we going to grow up and try to figure out why our kids are in such pain and right. do something about it? I mean, unless right. we address the root cause, we are never going to get ahead of this issue. A hundred percent. I I could not agree with you more. It's the it's the root cause of something that's, and that's you know like like you said when you you're going back into that root, once you get to that root, don't you get to a point where you're like okay, I kind of understand what's happening here. Let's let's fix that. Let let's not just band aid over top of it and say oh we got to change the constitution. It has nothing to do with the constitution. This is about emotional. That's why I love when we talk about your uh, your foundation here. It's really about that emotional support like where is that with for kids today especially with social media like what do you how do you feel like with, there's no boundaries for human respect i mean how do, how do you teach that with young kids yeah i and it's easy actually you you can do it i mean it it hopefully starts in the home but it doesn't always and you know i can say that i was 44 years old when jesse was murdered and i didn't have these essential life skills like how to have healthy relationships how to self regulate how to manage my emotions how to make responsible decisions and i've learned them as an adult but you can't give what you don't have to your kids right. And, and I mean, right. if you doubt that big kids are lacking these skills, pick up your phone and read the headlines. Right. They are like check out social media and how people are responding to one another. They are absolutely right. missing these skills and they're yeah. easy to teach and easy to learn, but you have to practice them for the rest of your mm-hmm. life. But we're not giving kids f- for the most part these essential life skills that we're not born with, but that are a direct path to flourishing. And we can reduce and prevent so much of the suffering that leads to not only violence, but substance abuse and mental illness and so so Mm -hmm. many other of the diseases of despair that we see are escalating today. Well, I love how you're you're really, uh, you know, I want to just real quickly, uh, before I get into the Choose Love Foundation, your own healing process, you were open to things, and I just want to put this out there for other people. This, you went, saw a tapping expert, you did EMDR, prayer. I just, I love that you just looked at all these different modalities just to find different ways that did all of them work? Did you just find one better than the other? Or That's, that's a really interesting thing that I found because remember I said I was just going to say yes, just open myself to the love mm-hmm. and then the, the, the silver lining of being in a huge catastrophic tragedy is that people from all over the world came with healing modalities and they offered them for free. And so Mm. I said, yes, I mean, yeah, I'll try everything. These incredible things that I'd never heard of. MNRI is another huge one, the Muscatola Mm. method that I still do to this day. Havening is another really big one um, that we're incorporating into the Choose Love movement, all trauma techniques that are so 
powerful and that kids can do themselves anywhere to to uh, to reduce anxiety mm. is so important. And so uh, I I tried everything, but that wasn't the case for everyone. And uh, I was just having a conversation with my dear friend, Dr. Bernie Siegel, who is a pr- pr- prolific writer. Uh, he was a child a pediatric uh, surgeon, and he wrote uh, Love, Laughter, and Miracles, uh, amongst many other books. And I was telling him... Um, just kind of asking him why people don't seek out help. And Mm -hmm. he told me a story about how he had written a letter to a hundred of his patients. These are cancer patients, by the way, Mm. and basically saying, uh, come to this meeting. It's free for transformation and healing. And, you know, some, some really powerful transformation, transform your life and heal some really powerful, um, headline that if I were a cancer patient, I would like be dressing two Mm. days before the meeting to get there. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, he said seven people showed up. And I said, yes, exactly like that, Bernie. Why? Mm -hmm. Why did only seven people show up? And he said, fear. He said, fear. I was wondering. Because they don't Mm -hmm. know if uh, if they have the resources like the time and the energy to do what it takes to heal. And then the other side of that is, what if it doesn't work for me? So fear just keep, takes them out of the ring at all. And right. I think that it's really important. It's that courage again. It's that theme today to have the courage to try different modalities and to find the ones that work for you. I tried I tried everything and no, not all of them worked. And right. uh, But I found the ones that worked for me. And I really do believe that those are, you know, they're, they're very important and, and uh, they're out there. And, and by the mm-hmm. way, these aren't traditional talk therapies. These are alternative. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That's what I love about it. Cause you know, I, there's one thing I could, you know, if I had the power to change for my mom is, you know, she just, there, there was nothing like this, you know, it was just, you had to put your head down and there was no therapy. There was no, you know, small town and, you know, I just, I just, uh, she always said she had no place to go. And, um, you know, and she's got five kids and my dad's on the farm and, you know, my dad too. And I just, um, you know, I know she's very strong in her faith. I just, I just wish there was something I could have ever done, which I did as a kid. I did everything I could to, you know, try and help her as an eight year old. And I'm sure, you know, really it, you know, everything, I became a a quick adult, but I don't regret a minute of it. And I just always wanted to, you know, take some pain away because there was no place to do it. And so I, that's why someone like yourself coming out and talking about this and healing through it and, and I just, you know, it's it's so powerful. It's so powerful, Scarlett. I, I um, but I want to talk before we get ready to wrap up here. I want to talk about that. Well, I did. I did want to just say that you know you mentioned faith, and faith is very. I have a very strong faith, and yeah. uh, I find hope in faith, and I think that's yeah. so necessary. And so I leaned into my faith for healing mm. and. Uh, it, it, that helped. That's, that's one of the number one things that helped me. That's fantastic. Yeah. Cause I, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's that, what I've called before my spiritual pull. I, I hang on. And when I let go of that, I got to get back on it. Cause I got to, it's something that is so powerful. And, uh, but let, I, I saw too, um, I can't quit quoting your book because <laughs> so, I was just love it so much, but, um, I love that you also mentioned that you talked to both your boys about finding compassion, practicing forgiveness, trying to understand, you know, um, 
that others may be in pain. So, so can you just talk a little bit about, you know, forgiveness in your own life? Like, because I love that you're talking about forgiving yourself. And um, that was just so powerful as well. Just knowing that, you know, how one forgives themselves. Forgiveness was, you know, I, so I, I said that, you know, my faith was very powerful and I believe that we're, we are forgiven and we forgive so that we're forgiven. I believe that that's what I knew growing up. That's what I believe now. But other than that, I didn't know a whole lot about forgiveness, how to do it. If there was a process that it was a choice. And it was so interesting, the resistance I got to putting forgiveness in the choose love movement in the programming. Um, So Hmm. many people said that it's too lofty a topic to teach kids. Um, And even my dad and I, I think we didn't speak for three months over the definition of forgiveness, you know, and he, Hmm. he thought that, you know, his his strong belief is that forgiving means that you just let it go and Hmm. don't hold the person account. You can't hold that means you don't hold the person accountable and you just, it's just letting it go, literally turning the other cheek. And I said, no, I, I think that choosing love basically is is holding somebody accountable and i believe that you can forgive and hold somebody accountable at the same time in fact you have to in fact holding Mm -hmm. somebody accountable is choosing love so that they don't go and Mm -hmm. hurt someone else and that they learn from their mistake and so uh i learned so much about it i i will tell one quick story i visited a group of at-risk kids and it was one of the first talks I ever gave and they asked me to talk about forgiveness. So I was sitting there, you know, talking about my process. And one of the kids said, can you show us what that looks like? And I said, okay. And this turns out to be now a lesson in the choose love movement. But I said, yes, I felt like I was attached to Adam with an umbilical cord, but it didn't come out of my belly button. It came out of my side and it ran into his and all my personal power drained out of me in the form of anger through the cord and into Adam. And I dragged him around with me everywhere because I was giving him power over Mm. my thoughts that impact Mm -hmm. how I feel that then impact how I behave and how I show up in my relationships. I mean, I was giving him Mm. power from the grave, by the way, because he killed himself. And I did Mm. not want to be another victim of Adam Lanza, which I easily Mm. could have been. He could have destroyed my life. I see lives that he has Mm -hmm. destroyed. And so I forgave and forgiveness for me was a big set of scissors. And I took those scissors in my mind and I cut that cord that attached me to pain. All my Mm. personal power ran back into me and it felt really good, Mm. but it doesn't mean that I don't fall back into anger. And I do get angry at other, you know, Mm -hmm. people trying to take advantage of the tragedy financially and other ways. And I have to step back, take a deep breath and forgive again, because forgiveness starts with a choice and then it becomes a process. But I will tell you, I don't know any other way to get your freedom back. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I, I talk to bereaved parents often and they're very angry and they're going through trials and, uh, and things like that. Um, and I'm, I'm careful when I, when I bring up the concept of forgiveness, but I also know that until you forgive, 
you are allowing the person who hurt you or your loved one to have control mm-hmm. over you. And I'll tell you what, mm-hmm. I was not going to have a, a, a psychopathic, you know, adult mm-hmm. that was a mass murderer have any control over mm. me that would be reflected right. in my relationship with JT or my family. But oh, the only wow. way that I could take my personal power back is through forgiveness. And people say to me, they go, oh my God, I can't believe you forgave you know, the man who murdered your son. You know, Wow, how selfless. It's not selfless. It was selfish because mm. I did it for mm. myself. You know, People think it's wow. this huge gift that you give somebody that doesn't deserve it. Really, and all the decades mm. of research behind the benefits of forgiveness show that it's a gift that you give yourself. I did it for mm-hmm. me. <laughs> wow, I love it. I love it. That's that. That's you know, uh, well, at the beginning of this conversation, I told you I, I found the guy after 48 years. Talk about signs. I had hawks showing up in my windows, and and the next thing I know, I found the man who had shot my brother 40 some years ago, and and met with him, and um, I know it was somewhat hard on my mom, but I I needed that for myself. I needed to forgive him for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, oh my gosh, it was the first time I could physically breathe. Like I had a physical reaction to of just the the grief that left my body. And, um, he's since passed away, but you know, the, just the forgiveness of, you know, hunting an accident and how, you know, some negligence. And it was just one of those scenarios that the forgiveness step of forgiveness is, you know, is the first step of healing. And I had a mentor that used to tell me when you, when you don't feel it, you heal it. Right. Mm. That's when it starts to move. It starts to move when it, the feeling is changing mm-hmm. and shifting, that's healing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I, I ask all my guests and I, I can almost assume I know your answer, but um, I do ask all my guests is, is, is healing a choice? Yes. Healing is a choice. But it takes a lot of courage because healing requires that you face the pain. And Mm -hmm. that's difficult. It requires that you sit with it and that you contemplate what the lessons are in there for you, that you, you take some responsibility for your healing and you figure out over time how you can grow through it and how you can be strengthened by it. I, I, I liken healing to the Japanese art form of kintsugi, where, hmm. you know, sometimes uh, the Japanese, they will eat in pottery bowls and mm-hmm. the pottery, when it, when it drops, it breaks. And so instead of throwing this pottery ball, bowl away, they fix it with golden joinery. And they consider, Mm. it's called kintsugi, they consider this now fixed pot more valuable than it was before it was broken. I liken Mm. that to our hearts. You know, everyone has had their heart broken. Everyone that's listening has had, you know, your heart's been cracked open a little bit or it's been shattered like mine. And what do you do when your heart is shattered? You can't throw it away. You drop to your knees, you gather up the pieces as best you can, you put it back together as best you can. And now that heart that has been put back together is stronger than the heart Mm -hmm. before. It is. And so I just want everybody to to know that and to know that healing is possible for everyone. And I 
practice the formula that we teach in the Choose Love movement. We have lifespan programming. It's free. It's in now over 11,000 schools in every state. Mm. And there's there's programming for homes and communities, infant toddler, um, 120 countries, because it's all based on love. And there's this really powerful healing formula. And it's having the courage to face the pain uh, instead of resisting or avoiding or maybe even numbing yourself and then practicing gratitude. Gratitude, there is always something to be grateful for. Mm. And I can tell you mm. that I did this from day one, mm. uh, even in the midst of tremendous tragedy. Uh, and gratitude does strengthen you. It does provide resilience. Mm -hmm. I was grateful Agreed. for the friends that reached out to me. I was grateful for the love mm -hmm. that I received from around the world. I was grateful for having a place to go that wasn't my home. I was grateful for my surviving son. Like I could take off so many things that I was grateful for. And then the mm -hmm. forgiveness piece, gratitude literally strengthens you to consider forgiveness. And forgiveness is a process, but mm -hmm. it's necessary if you want to take your personal power back. And, and for, for some of us, it's the only path to freedom. I didn't want to live mm -hmm. any other way. And as you said, you know, it feels good. And interestingly enough, forgiveness is the number one way to have healthy relationships and healthy relationships in the recently launched grant uh, ended grant study by Harvard University, the longest study ever on human life. They found that the secret to happiness is healthy relationships and connections. We get that mm. through practicing forgiveness. And then the compassion and action piece, which is what we started off with, which is having the courage to step outside of your pain and helping someone mm -hmm. else that helps and heals yourself. There's science behind all of this, but the mm. formula works, you know, in linear fashion, you have to really, really get that courage up in yourself. And, you know, we do that with a bunch of fun ways. We do brave breaths, we do power posing, different things. Mm. Um, and then having That's that great. gratitude practice, practicing forgiveness and serving others. That is so essential. You remember JT's mm -hmm. story yeah. and uh, that is choosing love. Yeah, that's that's so fantastic. So I'm going to get close to ending here on uh, just uh, I can't stop quoting your book because, uh, again, this is something I actually have on my wall in my office. It says, uh, when you forgive someone, we we do it for everyone. We do it for the whole world. We do it for our future. We do it for our children. But mostly we do it for ourselves. Because we can heal ourselves, then we can heal the world. And I just, I, it's just so, I don't know. I, 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 Scarlett, you're a walking example of your message. We need so many more people like you in the world. And I, I am so grateful for your time today. Um, I just, I hope that we stay connected and uh, if there's anything I can ever do to help out, please reach out to me. Um, I'm again, I want to please give my love to JT and uh, I just can't thank you enough for your, for your time and, and your insight today. It's just been extremely powerful. And, you know, I just want to say if, if, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Cause I'm just a normal human being, you know what I mean? And there's nothing special about me. I just practice this and focus on it and I'm open and, uh, and, and anyone can have this, this healing. It's, it's available. It's, it's there for everyone and don't be afraid to embrace it. Mm -hmm. 
Well, again, I, I thank you so much. And um, so uh, I want to thank everyone for joining me for this really great, lengthy conversation today. There's just so much, so much in it to absorb. I, I actually can't wait to go back and listen to it again myself. But thank you, everyone, for uh, joining me. Uh, again, Scarlett, thank you so much. And don't forget, everyone, to go out and please spread the love. For more information for the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Movement, please go to legacy.chooselovemovement.org and you can find Scarlett's amazing book, Nurturing Healing Love, wherever books are sold. And so don't forget, go out and choose love. Thanks for listening to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. If you want to share your experience as a witness, please forward your information to info at juliethuck.com. For more information on Juliet's 30-year career in the courtroom, visit us at juliethuck.com. There you can find your books, The Equation of Persuasion, and 50 Ways to Get Your Way, available on Amazon. Remember to follow and subscribe to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation wherever you listen to podcasts. The content, opinions, and information shared by the hosts and guests on this podcast are not to be considered professional legal advice or therapeutic counseling. If you need assistance, consult with a licensed attorney or therapist if you are appearing as a witness, experiencing emotional trauma, or are involved in any sensitive legal matters. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Thank you. Thank you.